here today. Because I know every time I've come here, I've seen the people who stand right here. And I've been blown away by your lives, by each one who's brought the word in this house and each one who's lived the word in this house. And uh, Dr. B has been an inspiration to so many and to me. And I'm super, super grateful for her. I'm grateful for this house that doesn't give up on people, that lets hope rise out of the ashes of people's lives. And when I was in hopeless situations over the last, uh, I've been connected here for 17 years. So when I've been in hopeless situations over the last 17 years, no one kicked me when I was down, but they offered me a hand to help pull me up. And that is a special gift on this house. My friend Naomi and I, as we were sharing last night and just talking, and I'm like, this is a special place. This is a really special place. And she got to meet some of the ladies last night. And we had dinner together. And she's like, I love everyone. I'm like, I know. It's so amazing. They just love so well. Commerce loves so well. Shalom loves so well. You have a gift of love. And you pour it out on the most undeserving because Jesus poured it into your hearts and you give it to everyone and you give it freely. I've always been blessed. I've always been loved when I've come to this house. And I'm so grateful to be here today. You have walked through some of the darkest nights of my soul with me. And I knew that you guys were praying for me. I knew you stood with me. I'd get notes in the mail or an occasional email and always encouraging. You have a gift of encouragement. And I'm so grateful for that. So, um, so, so grateful. And I want to say, like, some of you walked the journey with me through my divorce. Eight years ago, I was divorced. It was never anything I wanted. It wasn't anything I ever thought. And I'd never, ever in my wildest dreams thought I'd be standing here today preaching the word of God again. But I wasn't abandoned and I wasn't alone. And in the midst of that, over and over, people told me to write again. And some of you know I've written some books and there's some back there. If you want one, take one while they're there. But I have this one for Julie, <laughs> Pastor Julie. So this is the book that I wrote about the last season of my life. It's a biography called A Kept Woman. Because if there's one thing that I learned, I learned that God had kept me. And he was my keeper. He was my keeper. And he could keep me. He could keep me. Out of Psalm 121, the Lord could keep me. The Lord is my keeper. And I just needed to look to him. And in the midst of it, he would keep me. And so that's what that is. So if you want one, help yourself. There's some prayer cards there. Feel free to take one of those. Stick it in your Bible and pray for me. I would love that. <laughs> but you guys have been there. And, you, and I know you don't do that just with me. You do that for everyone. And you do that for one another. And I just want to commend you. I want to commend you on how you love and how you care for one another. And I'm grateful when Dr. B sent me a message recently and said, you know, I asked you a while back to come. When are you coming? <laughs> she said it a little nicer than that. But I got the message and I'm like, I can't wait to come. I, when she asked me before, to be honest, I didn't know she was serious. <laughs> I was like, because I was so humbled, I thought that I shouldn't be standing here. But God, oh, for the grace of God. Oh, for the grace of God. Oh, for the grace of God. He goes before us. He stands and he fights with us. And death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Every death in our life is swallowed up in victory. We pass from death to life. <laughs> Just death to life. Just life. And life abundant. And I feel like I have come alive. You know, this has been a rough season for so many. And today, I hope that this message is just a word of hope to you. A word of hope. There is so much hope that God wants to release. Even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of turmoil in our nation, even amidst rioting or revivals, <laughs> he has hope that he wants to bring to us. 
And my scripture passage this morning is coming from 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 8, if you want to follow along. I'll read it for you, and then we'll dive right in. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this message of hope today. I thank you, God, that in the midst of any of our storm, we can say hallelujah. We can raise a hallelujah because you are worthy to be praised. And today, Lord, we come to you, and we receive your word with gladness in our heart. I thank you, Lord, for your word that went forth this morning uh, in our Sunday school lesson, Lord. We receive your word. We receive your word. And, Lord, right now I ask that you would speak your word boldly through me, that we would have ears to hear what you're saying, and that only what you want would be spoken. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Samuel 23, 8 through 12. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino, the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ohohite, one of the three mighty men with David. And they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. You can hear another version of this story in First Chronicles 11 that also talks about barley fields. So we know that these men are in this field, defending this field. But I love this. I, I, I've often been challenged with names. I one time visited a Bible study, and the man was an amazing counselor. And he said, when he met me, he's like, oh, your name is Julie. Do you know what your name means? And I said, yes, it means youthful one. That's what Julie means. And he's like, well, what's your middle name? And I said, my middle name is Anne. And he's like, what does that mean? And I said, that means grace. And he says, have you fought about those the, your whole life? And I thought, yes, I have. I have fought against my name. He, and he said that when anyone would come into counseling, he would ask them their names. He would find out what their names meant. Because usually, for him, one thing he found was that they warred against their own name in their life. So I always felt, like, older than I was. I always wrestled to, like, be young-minded and not just old or feel like I couldn't do things or... So that was one thing. And then, Grace, I'm much better at law. I'm really good at law. Give me a law. I'm going to follow it. I'm a rule follower. As Naomi and I were driving out of here, we were talking about speeders passing us. And I'm like, I just can't really, like, go there. I can't do that. Like, I'm the rule follower. If you tell me the rule, I'm going to try to follow it. The best as I can, I want to follow that rule. So grace sometimes has been hard for me to come by and hard for me to receive. You know, like when you fail and you go to God and he gives you that grace and that mercy you don't deserve. Sometimes it's hard for me to do that because I want to earn my way. And sometimes when we want to do that with God, we want to earn our way. But he's just said to have grace. So I always find it interesting to look up names. All that to say, I find it interesting to look up the names of the people and find out what, what maybe their names meant. And the first guy that we came across in this story was um, Adino the Esnite. And Adino, I don't know if this was a nickname he got later because he was a mighty man. These were David's top three mighty men. And, and Adino means spear. <laughs> so here's this warrior, and his name means spear. He was like the spear. And as you read the passage about him in chapter 8, it says he slew. And that word slew means that he pierced to death. Like, not only, so here was the spear piercing to death, people all in his path. Like, that's a pretty interesting name, you know, for a mighty man. Like, if you're going to be a mighty man, I think the name Adina would be a good name for you, because you are the spear. And then I think the second one, his name was Eliezer, and his name meant God has helped, or whom God helps. So every time Eliezer was said, it meant 
I am the one whom God helps. Wouldn't that be great to go into the room and say, I am Eliezer. I am the one God helps. I am the one God helps. Every time he entered a situation, he was that. I am the one God helps. But then you have Shema. Now, Shema's name isn't that great. I'm just going to tell you. Shema's name, you know what it meant? It meant a wasteland or an appalling desolation. It meant to be devastated, to be abandoned, or to be deserted. Most likely, there was something that happened in that area before he was born, and his parents named him after it. That's a hard name to have, isn't it? Would you want to be called the wasteland? (laughs) Here comes that wasteland. He's walking on in. Like, go figure. But that man had a destiny to fulfill to overcome his name. He had a destiny. And what I love is later on in Ezekiel 48, it talks about a passage. And in the translations, in some places, it says Jehovah Shammah or Yahweh Shammah. And that, when God enters into the situation, Jehovah Shammah means that God is there. So when Shammah, who was the waste, invited God into his situation, Jehovah Shammah showed up, and God was there in him. I love that. I love that thought. And as I looked over this passage and I thought about the different things, you know, you have Adino who spears people, 800 people in a day. Like, I don't know about you, but that's some crazy numbers. You know, like that would would make the evening news, I would think. Adino just slew. 800 people with one spear. I think that would make the news. Even now, I think that would make the news. <laughs> and he, it says that he slew them all at one time. And then we hear about Eliezer. And he was so determined that smoke meant to slaughter or to give wounds and kill. He was so determined that he clave unto his, his sword. He held on for dear life to that sword so that it became formed around his hand. He couldn't let it go. To, to clave means to cling or adhere, to be joined together, to keep fast, to overtake and pursue hard. I thought about that. Have you ever had a time where you, like, held on to something for so long that, like, when you got done, like, your hand kind of just cramped automatically in that position? Now, this wasn't a sword, but I was going to overcome my kitchen and dining room one day in painting. And... uh I was sponge painting. Does anyone remember sponge painting? You would get a sponge and you would stipple all on the wall like this. You would just go up and stipple, 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 stipple. You dip in the paint and you do it. And I decided to do it with four colors. It, um, it was a little too busy. I'm just going to tell you. But I did this all day. The kitchen, the dining room, I stippled, I stippled like this. And I remember that night, like, when I took the sponge out of my hand, like my fingers, my whole hand had become formed to that sponge, just doing this all day. And then all of a sudden, like in the middle of the night, your hand is cramping just like that. Anyone have that experience? I, I get that when I paint because I kind of like don't take the breaks I should take in the middle because I just want to get it done. I'm going to conquer the wall. And uh, he, was, he had a, a holy passion to conquer. <laughs> But he held that sword so tight, he refused to let go of that sword until the battle was won. He refused. He refused to let it go. And Shema, where he came, he refused to leave the field. Here was this field set before him. And it said that the field was full of lentils. The field was full of lentils. But what did it say in with Eliezer and with Shema, it says everyone else fled. Everyone else left. And here's just David and these three mighty men to face this whole army of Philistines. But Shema got up there and he's like, devil, you ain't taking my bean field. You're not taking my field. You're not taking my field. This is my field. My name might mean wasteland, but I'm defending this field. This is my promise. No one is taking my field. No one is taking my field. And he stood his ground. He stood his ground. When I, when I thought about that word full, I love this. The word full there is like a woman with a child. Very full. <laughs> P- 
pregnant. This land was pregnant with beans. And he wasn't about to flee and give his harvest to the enemy. He had a harvest field about ready to be received. All the rest of the Israelites are like, these enemies are too great. I'm running. But instead, he ran to the field to defend it. And he stood his ground. He stood. He stood stand fast, standing fast. He refused to be moved from his ground. This was his, and he was going to die over this land. Are there things that you're willing to die over? Are we willing to die over our faith? Are we willing to stand our ground no matter what? We hear of it in other nations. Like I, I hear of it from people all over, you know, overseas, and, and, and we're blown away. And I know that there's a grace that comes on them. But I've often heard, if you're not willing to live for it, why would you be willing to die for it? And so often in my life, I'm challenged with that. I'm not, I'm not currently faced with persecution like that, where I have to worry I'm going to die for my faith tomorrow. We may come to that. We may come to that in our lifetime or wherever God sends us. We may come to that. But right now our choice is will we live for him who died for us? Because death is swallowed up in victory. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that to die is gain? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain? That's a scary thought. I'm an end time handmaiden. I know some of you guys are too. And recently I was reviewing the vows. I have them on my wall above my desk. And I was reading them. And like when I made those vows, it was very serious. And when I review those vows, it's very serious. Like, do we truly believe it? You know, in those moments when God comes to us and it's so precious and we're like, Lord, I give you everything. I'll do anything you want me to do, anything, whatever you want, I'm yours. But then it's, will you go talk to your neighbor? Will you talk to your coworker who's in the desk next to you and just share what God's laid on your heart? Will you pray for them? Will you meet me in prayer in that secret place at that special time that I asked you to come? Sometimes it's harder to live than to die for the Lord, but we're called to live as Christ, to die as vain. I thought as I looked at this passage, there were three don'ts that stood out to me. And I think there are things that we face right now. This has been a a rough season and a good season. I don't know about you, but these last nine months have been really intriguing. (laughs) Our country has not been through something like this in generations, in in our lifetime. My lead pastor at our church always says, I've never pastored through a pandemic before. (laughs) I didn't know what I was supposed to do. You know, and like you... We struggled with what do we do? Do we mask? Do we not mask? Do we do we lay hands on people? Do we not? Do we open the doors or do we close the doors? Do we go online? Do we stay in person? And these were decisions that we were faced with. And uh, at different times, as we sought the Lord, it was different answers. I remember one of my questions throughout the pandemic was, what does love look like? What does love look like? To some... Love meant when I was with them, I needed to wear a mask because that was loving to them because they had health conditions and they had other things going on in their life. And for me, I could do that to minister to them. That's what love looked like. And for others, it meant um, keeping my distance or it meant being right there hugging them if they needed that. And in every situation, I would just pray, Lord, what does love look like today? What does love look like in this situation Does love look like going and helping at the food bank when the people are all out of work? Does love look like taking a meal to a neighbor? What does love look like? But I realized that it's really easy at times to faint in our weariness and in fear. You know, there were so many people. There were so many Israelites that were in this region, not just David and these three guys. But it said they fleed. The Israelites 
fleed the Philistines. They ran the opposite direction when the enemy came at them. And maybe they needed to. Maybe they needed to. Maybe they weren't equipped for this battle. But sometimes I think we flee for the wrong reasons. And sometimes we're just weary. This has been a long battle. I know in our area, like with COVID really began to hit and become prominent in our area in March. And everything was shut down. And then we've had different waves and we've had different things come through. But a lot of people just grew weary. Just weary of the battle. Tired of praying about it. Tired of living it. Tired of trying to find where that mask is before you go in the store. (laughs) Tired of all the do I, do I not. It would be easier just to sit at home. There's people in our region who've just checked out. We have church online. And so for some, for a few weeks they watched online. And then some just checked out. Statistically, over 30% of the church checked out in these last nine months across the nation. They're not attending church anywhere. They're not attending online anywhere. They're not watching anything. They're just out. 30% grew weary in this well-doing. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season... We will reap if we faint not. Amen. And then it goes on in Galatians 6.10. It says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. The scripture has been so real to me that it's so easy to grow weary in well-doing. And that word for um, due season And the word for opportunity are the same word in the Greek. And they're kairos. There are seasons. There are two types of seasons. There's the chronos, the day to day to day to day to day to day. It just keeps going. And then there's those kairos, those opportune times, those times that are pivotal, those times that are those aha moments. And we cannot grow weary in well-doing, for in those Kairos times, in those Kairos times, we will reap if we don't faint. And as we have those Kairos times, let us do good unto all men, especially those in the household of faith. I truly believe this is one of those Kairos times in our lifetimes. We will look back on this season and say we had a divine opportunity We have a divine opportunity. Many are asking questions. No one understands what's going on but God. But I believe the church can have some answers. The church can love. The church can do good to all men. The church can be about the mission. And we have been given a commission that did not go away with COVID. It did not go away no matter who is in the White House. We have a commission to preach the gospel. We have a commission to go to all nations and to baptize people and to disciple the nations. That's our commission. But yet it's hard because there's such a heavy fainting spirit. There's such a spirit that makes us want to flee or just grow passive. A lady in our church had a word from the Lord, and I thought it was so fitting. I actually copied it down, and I'm going to read it to you. But this was her word, and she was talking about passivity. She said, God brought to my attention the spirit of passivity or inaction that is heavily present in many of us. Many of us are waiting on God as an excuse to not move and to settle in our own fears. But faith is an action word. And the longer we wait to move, the harder it will be to strengthen our faith. Passivity is a huge stronghold that the enemy uses, and many don't even realize it. When she gave this word about a month ago, I thought, wow, where have I grown passive? Where have I grown passive? Where has my faith grown cold? And it's like, I'll just get to that later. Or tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. I thought about today. But it's so much easier to say tomorrow. 
I mean, how many have felt that? Even this last week, I got sucked into the TV, I'm just going to say. Like, my TV is on my phone. (laughs) But I got sucked into the drama going on in this world. Instead of getting sucked into prayer. (laughs) You know, like if ever we needed to be praying about what's going on and thy kingdom come, thy will be done, now is the time. Now is that Kairos time for us to pray. Now is that Kairos time to do good unto those around us. Now is the time to raise people up. For some, they have more time. I I thought of the Bible college. I thought like in our area, we have an outreach to a local um, jail that has like a work release program. Everything's been shut down. They have no ministers able to come into the, to their jails. No one can come in from the outside. Everything's shut down. They're desperate for materials. They're desperate for things. And I thought, you are commissioned <laughs> to the incarcerated. You guys already have an indoor sending your materials, teaching them the word of God through the Bible studies that have been, have been written and are being written. How powerful is that? Your ministry didn't didn't shut down your ministry didn't get smaller your ministry expanded your ministry expanded during covid and i think for many that if we seize the day if we seize the opportunities our ministry is to expand in this season not diminish even if there's persecution the church grew in persecution if you look back at the the new testament church in book acts When they had to flee the persecution and they got spread out, the ministry grew. It didn't shrink. It didn't go back away. And they weren't passive. They prayed for boldness. Are we praying for boldness in the middle of this? Are we fainting in our weariness? Matthew 11, 12 says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. To suffer violence means to be seized. (laughs) Are we seizing the day? Are we seizing the day? Are we seizing the moments God's given us? God's given us amazing moments all around us. But sometimes we need the scales of passivity to fall off our eyes that we can see the opportunities, those kairos moments right in front of us. Maybe it's that family member you've been praying for for a really long time, and in this they're just a little shaken. It's scary. That diagnosis of COVID or being exposed is scary because we've heard the reports. We don't know how it's going to affect each person. That's an, an amazing opportunity to pray. I'm so grateful you guys were praying for those that you know and calling their names out before the Lord. How powerful that they know they have someone they can reach out to who's going to pray for them and uphold them. And be with them. And you can say, I, I heard Pastor Julie say, about fear not that she was talking about overcoming fear we don't have to fear the enemy's greatest ploy right now is fear and passivity fear and passivity and we don't have to give in to that fear you have overcome (laughs) in life and in death you have overcome we win god wins always 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 second the second don't I've gone to preaching. (laughs) The second don't. Don't leave your bean field. Don't leave your bean field. Shema refused to leave his bean field. It's easy to leave our bean field, especially if we're in fear and especially if we've grown passive. But he refused to leave that bean field because he was pregnant with a promise. He saw the promise right before him. He felt the promise right before him. He knew it was coming. The harvest was in sight. And he said, no, no enemy is getting my harvest. When was the last time you told the devil, no enemies getting my harvest? This is my harvest field. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to take it by force. I'm not going to give it up. In... um, it's probably March or April. I remember I was in our our sanctuary praying, and we were having daily prayer meetings every day. And I was in there one day, and I was commissioned. I was commissioned to raise up houses of prayer. I was commissioned to start prayer movements. That's what we do. And I remember saying, "Lord, 
How long till you raise up the house of prayer in northwest Indiana? Like, how long, God? How long? You know that lovely psalm? How long, God? How long? Have you ever said that? And I'm on my knees with tears streaming down my face. How long till you raise up the house of prayer? And he said, Julie, how long till you do it? How long till you do it? And it was like, oh, I was waiting for God to move, but he was waiting for me to move. (laughs) He was waiting for me to step into the promise that he'd already declared and been declaring for 20 years. And I was waiting for some magical revival center to fall from heaven. And I believe he sends revival and it comes from heaven. But there's a whole lot of work that goes on. (laughs) There's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of stuff when that happens. And we have to be positioned. Shema positioned himself in the bean field and refused to move. I have positioned myself at City Point Church in Portage, Indiana, and I'm refusing to move. Because I am believing it's about to rain there. I am believing that there is a harvest to come. I am taking the prophetic words that have been spoken over my church, over my life, over my ministry, and I'm declaring them and believing they're going to come to pass. So why would I move? Why would I move from my bean field? Why would I move? This is my field, and it is pregnant. And harvest is about to come. As we were driving, we were right near the Mississippi River crossing over, and I looked off to the side, and there were fields. And there were big combines in the field bringing in the harvest. Like, this is harvest season. There is a harvest just outside those doors. Just outside those doors, waiting. Waiting to hear. Waiting for the gift that's in you. When you go to your jobs, it's a harvest field. (laughs) If God's called you there, it's your harvest field. It's your harvest field, Wendy. It's your harvest field. God's got a plan. And it might be that you're sowing hope to someone, that your kind voice speaks life to them when they've been depressed or despondent. It's your harvest field. But so many of us get out of position and choose to leave our fields. But God had said in Isaiah 66, 8 and 9, I love this, Who hath heard such a thing? And who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? Saith the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut up the womb? Saith thy God. It gets to that point in pregnancy where you're having that baby, that baby's going to come. You hit that transition, and there is no stopping it. There is no stopping it. That baby is going to come, and you just better get ready. (laughs) That water's going to break. That baby's going to come, and you're going to receive that. And I believe this is that time of harvest. This is that time of birthing. There are dreams within people. And maybe you think that dream has died. But that dream is still alive. And it's about ready to kick in your womb. There's a baby coming alive. I thought about that bean field. Each one of us could have different bean fields. As you sit here, part of your bean field is Commerce Community Church. Part of your bean field is Shalom Ministry. Part of your bean field is Shalom Bible College. But part of your ministry and your bean field might be your family. It might be your marketplace. It might be the post office in Dallas Center. (laughs) It might be um, a neighbor. It might be this block of houses. As I drove in, I'm like, wow, all these houses, all these houses. I don't remember all these houses. It's like God has raised up neighbors for you guys. He's given you a whole street of people, amazing folks. Like you have a whole new mission field. It might be your prodigals. It might be your prodigals. This morning we were upstairs praying, and I was, I was quoting 
was laid in my heart about Isaiah 43, about God doing a new thing, forgetting the past, and behold, I do a new thing. And I went and looked back, and earlier, it's the part about speaking to the north and the south and the east and the west and give them up. They're coming home. It is a time for prodigals to return. It is a time for prodigals to step into their destiny. And we get to be pregnant and birth them back into the kingdom. I travailed as in childbirth till Christ was formed in you. When was the last time we did that? Myself included. Are we willing to travail in prayer? Because I don't think it's... I don't think that Satan is just willing to go, okay, you can have that one. You can't have that one. Here you go. Will we fight? Will we take our fields back? Will we take our place? Will we stand? Tuesday, I know it was election day, but no results had come in, so this was not election. However, I was in the sanctuary praying at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That's my normal. And I've been I've been carrying a shovel into the sanctuary when I come in. And I set the shovel up right in the middle of the altar area. I lay it on the ground. And I believe I'm digging a well of revival. And I was walking all along, walking, 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 with the shovel right in the middle, believing like God is going to dig this. I'm With every prayer, I'm digging. I'm digging. I'm digging. And we are going to hit a spring And it is going to flood our region. That's what I'm believing. And so I prophetically lay that shovel there. I used to have a little spade that I would hold in my hand. And I had written on it, dig a well of revival. And I did that in 2004. And I had these little shovels. And I passed out, I don't know, 35 of these little shovels to people. But in the last month, God told me to get a full-size shovel. And I wish I could have one of those, like, augers that, like, grinds up the dirt. I, like, I wish I could, like, haul one of those and stick it right there. And when the shovel isn't in the sanctuary, the shovel, shovel is right by the door in my office so that when I walk past it every day at the church, I know I'm there to dig some wells. And I'm just reminded. It's just a visual representation for me. But anyways, I put the shovel in the middle of the room. And I began pacing and praying. And all of a sudden, out of my spirit came, I will not concede 1300 Winding Ridge Lane in Valparaiso, Indiana. That's my home. I will not concede 6474 Central Avenue. That's my church. I will not concede City Point Church. I will not concede Hope Ministries. I will not concede Drew. I will not concede Luke. I will not concede relationships in my life. I will not concede my place in prayer. I will not concede my destiny. And I began calling things out. And this was just like erupting like I am not conceding this ground to the enemy. You know, and now, like, people would be saying, like, I'm not conceding this nation. I'm not conceding that no matter what happens, this is going to be a nation that turns back to the Lord. I am believing firmly, according to the word of God, that abortion needs to end in America. I am not conceding that ground to the enemy any longer. I'm not conceding that we're going to be a nation of lawlessness and rioting. I'm not conceding that that is normal. I'm not conceding that that is God's best. I refuse. I refuse to agree with the enemy on that. And I refuse to agree with him about anything. (laughs) There is a spirit rising up in me that we can't concede our bean fields. We need to be like Shema, and instead of running away from the field, we run to it, and we say, I may not be able to do anything, but I can stand here. I can stand here, and I can pray. I can stand here, and I can know what I'm to do. I'm going to get my assignment from the Lord, and then I'm just going to do it. For 18 months, I um, I was pressing into an assignment that I thought was from God, but was a lie. I'm just going to be honest. It was a lie. And in January, like, everything fell apart. And I'm like, what just happened? Like, here I've given 18 months of my life building towards a ministry position that I thought was going to turn into full-time. And I thought it was going to be wonderful. And I thought this was, like, going to be my full-time job and great. And I was working a full-time job. And I was working at the church. And I was doing this. But I thought, like, this is all coming together. I can see this happening. And if I just stick with it long enough, this is going to happen. 
And in January, I got a huge dose of reality, and I realized what I was holding on to wasn't true. It wasn't God's plan for me. It was, it was a word a man spoke to me, but it wasn't God's word for me. I had wanted it so bad. I made it into what I wanted it to be. Has anyone else ever done that? Like someone is like, I think you're called to this. And it's like, oh, that sounds really easy. I think I could do, not easy because nothing is easy. But, you know, like that seems like a good plan. And so I, I spent 18 months of my life trying to wrap my head around like this is the direction I'm headed. And, and I kept hitting these roadblocks. And everyone in my life would be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like, I have a word. <laughs> I had a word. It just wasn't from God. But I have a word, and I'm just moving toward this. Like, and, and I was killing myself. I was working 70 and 80-hour weeks every single week. Finally, at Christmas time, my son sat me down. My son, who is 24, going to be 25, sat me down, and he's like, Mom, what are you doing? This isn't turning out the way you thought. But I was like, I'm not giving up. <laughs> and what I realized was when I began asking questions, I had the wrong vision. I didn't have one based on truth. I had one based on a lie. And you know what happens with lies? They crumble. <laughs> and I was living in the ruins of it. So January was a hard time of coming to grips with, okay, God, if that's the lie, if that's the lie then what do you have for me? What is the assignment you have for me? I know I'm called to my church. I know I'm called to serve my pastor. I know I'm called, you know, like I have to make a living. I, I know like you have something for me, but I don't know what it is. And I just began praying. It, and I, I didn't know. I went on a missions trip. I went to Africa. It was incredible. I had an amazing time in Kenya and met incredible folks who are raising up a house of prayer in Kenya for the, the continent of Africa. And I remember when they shared their vision, I cried. My original call was to call people to prayer. That was my original call. And I'd kind of gotten sucked up in someone else's call. And so I realized that was good. So I went back to the prayer closet and I began praying. It got so bad that in March, one day, I literally was on my knees again in the prayer closet saying, God, is it even your will that I'm at this church? Am I supposed to be here at all? None of this makes sense. I know you've called me to serve this pastor. I know you've called me here, but none of this makes sense. I, am I, is it even your will that I'm here at this time, at this church. That was my prayer at 2 o'clock. That night, I gathered with some intercessors who were praying. And it had been a battle for like nine months. And I was weary. I was tired. I wanted to leave my field. And that night, I was sitting at the keyboard, and I was pounding away. <laughs> It wasn't a pretty sight. And all of a sudden, I heard a song, and I'm like, this is crazy, because this isn't even Christian. <laughs> and I heard the song by Donna Summer, Enough is Enough is Enough. And I told the intercessors, I'm like, will you just go with me for a minute? I don't know. Either this is really going to be God, or I'm really going to miss it big. But just give me a little grace. And they're like, okay, because they know like I'm crazy. So... I began singing, enough is enough is enough, I can't go on, I can't go on much longer. And I began screaming it. And I, with tears streaming down my face, I'm like, I can't go on much longer. Enough, enough, enough. And I began screaming at him like, enough, you can't do this to me anymore. You can't do this to me anymore. I'm not taking it from you anymore. I'm tired of believing lies. I'm tired of feeling less than. I'm tired of feeling despondent and discouraged and destroyed. Enough. And after screaming at the enemy, I began having this song come up in me 
that was, Jesus is enough, he's enough, he's enough, he's enough, he's enough. Jesus is enough, he's enough, he's enough, he's enough. And because Jesus is enough, I can say enough to the enemy. (laughs) Jesus is enough, and Jesus is with me in this field, in this moment. And I had some breakthrough. We got to the end, and the intercessors are like, you started tonight with saying you were going to pray for miracles tonight because God had laid it on my heart. We'd had a word in our church where it asked people to hold out their hands. And I believed, this was at the first week of March, that God was going to release miracles in their hands and through their hands. And I felt like we needed to just remind God of his word, remind us of what God had said really more than anything. And so I prayed over each one of them. And I just released miracles over their life. For some, it was financial miracles. For some, it was healing. For some, it was uh, salvation. For some, it was um, deliverance, that they would operate in deliverance and they'd see people free. And they're like, we want to pray for you. And I'm like, yeah, you saw, I need it. And so they surrounded me. And the first intercessor laid her hands on me. And she said, Lord, I thank you that you have called Pastor Julie here for such a time as this. You have called her as a pastor right here, right now at City Point Church. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of crazy. Praise God. Then the next one laid their hands on me and said, not only have you called her here, but you are sending her out. You are sending her to the region. You are sending her to the nations. And she will go out and raise up houses of prayer. And the third one that began praying and she says and not only that but you're going to provide for her you're holding her in the palm of your hand and you're going to take care of her and I thought wow that's amazing so I go the next day to my full-time job at the law office and uh, they've been wanting more hours from me and so I I had been talking with the lead pastor at the church and we'd worked it all out so I was going to work more hours there Especially with COVID coming, we didn't know what was going to happen with the church and finances and all of that. So it seemed like very reasonable that I could pick up extra things there, save the church some money, do this. At 8 a.m., the governor of the state of Indiana issued a moratorium on all mortgage foreclosures, and that's what our law office did. By 4 o'clock, we all got called into the conference room, and 90% of our staff, including me, was laid off. And when they announced it at 4 o'clock, all that rose up in me was hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Enough is enough. I'm done with that. And I believed God was opening a door. I didn't know how. Here I am unemployed, and that was my income. (laughs) That was my income. So, like, God, now what are you going to do? I'm fully a volunteer. (laughs) Fully a volunteer. I call my dad on the phone, and I say to him, Dad, um, just want you to know I got laid off today. It's all going to be okay. And my dad's really concerned. He's like, are you sure? Do you need anything? I just bought a house a month before. I hadn't even made a mortgage payment. He's like, are you sure? Are you going to be okay? I'm like, yes. I know I'm going to be fine. This is all good. God's got this. God prepared me last night, and now I just get to do ministry. For however long this lasts, I'm good. I didn't know how. And then I called the lead pastor at the church, and I said, Pastor Mike, guess what? I have one job now. And he's like, you always only had one job, but you had to go to that other place and get paid. So, but he's like, yes, so let's run. And I'm like, I'm running. (laughs) Little by little, the next week was my 50th birthday. On March 27th was my 50th birthday. And you can't really have a party when the entire state is shut down and required to stay home. So I called a shut-in for my birthday and I called people to pray. I posted it on my Facebook account. I blasted it places, and I said, hey, for my birthday, would y'all take the day? You can't go anywhere anyways, and take at least an hour. I'm going to commit to 10 hours of prayer. So from this time to this time, I'm going to pray. Periodically, I'll come on here, and I'll encourage you. But let's just pray. What does God have for us in this season? And as I began to pray, God reminded me of my original assignment, which was to raise up houses of prayer. And so on my 50th birthday, God said, go back to the original assignment, find your assignment, and start doing it. As the process went out, and I thought, you know, like, to me, and I know it's not, and I joke about this, but, like, I thought, like, it would have been so much easier if God had called me to, you know, the church down the street, because at least they would have had members and a place to start. But that's not what God called me to. And God 
called me to establish a nonprofit and to go that whole route. And I'm like, God, how is this going to happen? I did that for 16 years and I never saw a dime of income. How am I going to, how am I going to survive? What are you going to do? But God gave me a promise and it was like, remember the third person? I'm going to take care of you. Watch what I'll do. And on day one of the ministry, someone came up to me and gave me a, a promise gave me a promise. And I'm like, Lord, how do I know that this is true? How do I know that you're really going to do this? And he told me in prayer, and I never had a word like this. And he said, a specific person is going to give you a check in a specific amount. And when you know it, every promise I've ever given you is going to come to pass. And you will not go back to the law office. That day, that person called me. And they came and they sat in my living room and they prayed and then they left. And I'm like, oh, today is not that day, but thank you, God. Like, if you could bring that person to my living room today, you're going to do something. Then eight days later, eight is the number of new beginnings, right? Eight days later, that person calls me up again and wants to come and sit in my living room. And this time they're like, I really want to make sure you get going in ministry. What can I do to help you? I want to write a check. I have my checkbook today. And I'm like, thank you. That's wonderful. Whatever God lays on your heart, just do it. And they're like, really? No, really. Tell me what you need so that you can know you don't have to go back. I'm like, I can't tell you that. And they did not know God had told me they were going to write me a check. I said, I really can't do that. But I know, like, whatever God lays on your heart will be amazing. It'll be incredible. Because literally in my bank account at that moment was zero. It's zero in my ministry account. So, like, anything was great. And, uh so they looked at me and they said, okay, I'm going to write it for X amount of dollars. And I'm like, hallelujah. That was incredible. In 16 years of ministry, I'd never received a check for that amount. However, X was only half of what God had told me. So as they're writing their check, I just thank the Lord. I'm like, thank you, God, for this gift. This is an incredible gift. I'm blown away by it. I know it's not the full amount, but you are reminding me that you're going to come through. And so until that day, I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to bring that to pass. The person sat there and they wrote in the date and they wrote in Hope Ministries International and they signed their name at the bottom. And then they kept looking at me and looking at the check and looking at me and looking at the check. And they said, I'm not going to write it for X. I'm going to double it. (laughs) And I laughed just like that. Just, Just like Sarah laughed. I laughed. And they're like, what? And I'm like, when you're done, I'll tell you. (laughs) So... They began to, they filled it out, they handed me the check, and I said, you know how you were concerned that I not go back to the law office and that I do what God's called me to do? I said, you just wrote the confirmation check. Every promise God has is going to come to pass. And you gave me the confirmation that I am not to go back. If they call me back tomorrow, I'm turning it down. And this was a good job. (laughs) But if they call me back tomorrow, I'm not going back. I have a word I have a promise. I have the earnest right in my hand. And we began making steps to move forward. October 19th, I began full-time with Hope Ministries International. And a promise that I was given when I was 17, and I'm 50 now, so 33 years ago, finally came to pass. God told me when I was 17, I would be in full-time missions or Christian service. And I am. Two weeks ago... Two weeks ago, I had been wrestling with something, and the Lord laid on my heart to sow a seed into a land project overseas. And I said, okay. And it was really specific. Send this amount on this day. The day that person received that check, they called me with tears and said, thank you so much. This means so much to the brothers here. This means so much to our purchase. We can't believe what you're doing. Thank you. And he prayed that God would bless me. That afternoon, I received a phone call from a a lady. And she said, I know you're getting ready to go out of town. But I want you to know before you go, and you have no fear, that God's going to take care of you. I just met with my accountant. And I want you to know, by the end of December, you will have a check for your entire salary for 2021. (laughs) And I'm like, what? What? And I sit there and I'm astounded. 
And Diane, Dr. Diane was on my board for 16 years when I had the previous ministry. I never received a salary, and it was okay, but it was never there, ever, ever. And God has gone before me. And when we are faithful to his word, he is faithful to his word. When we are in these chrono seasons, things can seem to just plug along. But when we hit that Cairo season, it's time to jump in. It's time to defend the field. It's time to do it. And I believe we're in that kind of season. And the last thing I want to say is don't give up. Don't give up. That's the third don't. Don't give up. I continually hear in my spirit, don't give up. You're on the brink of a miracle. These miracles aren't just for me. God gave me a word and I stood on it and I believed it. He confirmed the word in May that he was releasing miracles. And he told me again just in the last month that there were more miracles right before this miracle came. I don't believe this is a word for me. I believe this is the time that the church rises up, we speak the word, and there's signs and wonders following. I believe this is the time that the church moves into the miraculous. We have power in the name of Jesus. We have power in the name of Jesus. But do we believe it? Will we stand on it? Will we obey what God has called us to do in the prayer closet and in going, whatever that assignment is? In this season, there's people who've had to change assignments. And there's been a great repositioning in the church as a whole and in ministries and in families. Great shifting, great repositioning. But embrace what God is doing. Find what his assignment is in it and do it. Can I pray with you guys? So, Lord, we come to you today. And I believe you have an amazing commission on this house. You have an amazing call. You have amazing people that you have positioned in this bean field. And Lord, first, I just ask, we just want to take a minute. And Lord, if there's an area where we've grown passive, either out of fear or weariness, I ask you would reveal that place to us. And Lord, in this place, Lord, if it's out of weariness, I cry out for new strength. You say that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength and they'll mount up with wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not faint. Lord, if it's out of fear, you have commanded us to fear not for you are with us. I thank you, Lord, just like Shema in his wasteland. God, when you enter it, it means God is there. Come and be with us. Lord, I pray about our assignments. Lord, as you're, you're refining things. Lord, if there have been assignments in our life that have come to an end, show us what needs to be let go of and show us what are those new assignments you have for us. And reveal even what are those ways. Lord, you have new ways. Behold, you're doing new things in this new day. Help us to forget the past. And to behold the new. Lord, let us see it. That we can seize it. And step into what you have for us today. And Lord, I pray that we would never give up. We would not concede and we would not give up. The fields you have for us. The harvest you have for us. The assignments you have for us. The people you have for us. The miracles you have for us. And Lord, Like you spoke in March, I ask that you would release miracles over each one who is hearing this today. Lord, I ask you would release miracles in their life, what they need. Lord, some need a miracle of peace right now. They have just struggled so much and had so much turmoil. Release peace. You spoke peace. You speak peace. And the winds and the waves are stilled. Speak peace. Some need healing today, Lord. I ask you would release miracles of healing all over this house and to those that are listening. Release healing. Release new strength. You'd renew. You'd renew strength, Lord. And some do need provision, God. 
And I know you can do that. In our weakness, you are strong. And Lord, forgive me where I pinned you into working certain ways or what I thought would be easier. When you had a method of provision that was so beyond anything I could have ever fathomed. You are good and your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, Lord, I pray that we would hear our word and we would be obedient. I pray, Lord, you would seal this in our hearts. And, Lord, you would cause it to come up when we need it. You would cause this word to bring forth fruit for your name and for your glory, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Wow. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Well, 